Hello, it's Bernard Nomberg with the Nomberg Law Firm in Birmingham, Alabama. Thank you for taking a few minutes to check out our new podcast and to listen to our episodes. We think we've got a varied and wide variety of interesting guests talking about interesting things, including this episode. In this episode, we have the patriarch of our firm of counsel, Joel Nomberg. Joel is now happily retired in Gulf Shores, Alabama, but for 50 years practiced law in South Alabama, and that's what most of this episode is about. Joel shares with us about his practice, how the practice has changed, and just some of his views about practicing law in South Alabama. We hope you'll enjoy it. Please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing. We appreciate you listening to Nomberg Law Live podcast. I'm at your uh, command. Good morning. I think we are live now. Let me take a look here. Dad, how are you doing down in Gulf Shores this morning? Everything is peachy. That's good. That's good. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Our special guest is Joel Nomberg this morning. Thank you, Dad, for giving us a few minutes of your time. You're welcome. David has been unexpectedly called to court, but in David's honor, we've got him looking over my shoulder. I don't know if you guys can see him or not, but uh, that's usually where he is anyway, metaphorically. (laughs) Dad, I, I want to take a little bit of time today and talk about a few things that uh, maybe folks don't know about you, about the law, your practice, and things that you have done. And so I really, I want to I want to back up before we get to those things. Uh, tell us, I know that in the past, our family has been in the garment industry, in the clothing industry, in shoes, but that's not what you did professionally. What, as a child, inspired you to want to go into the law? My uncle in New York, Philip Acker, was an attorney. That was kind of the curious part of the beginning and then I went through high school of course and went to college and the advisor told me archaeology uh, wouldn't put much food on the table and uh, I got to know some of the attorneys in Dothan and then it, the, the whole idea of the law just interests me because I've always enjoyed civics and history and it was a good blend to know some of the attorneys. Oh, sorry, hold on just a second. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. And so Uncle Phil was an influence on you early on. I know that uh, Cousin George was an attorney down in South Florida, but I don't know of any other lawyers in the family other than those two men uh, that were older than you. Were there any others that I'm not aware of? No, n- not by our relationship or family. But it was friends. Mother and, and dad, knew, mother and dad knew lawyers, and that was basically and, it. Background. And growing up, you held many jobs, including in uh, working. Tell us what type of jobs that you had as a child and as a teenager. Well, I, I guess you'd say I was one of the original gophers. I went from one <laughs> store to the other, bringing merchandise. Uh, I sold peanuts when dad would take me to his softball games, uh, <laughs> enjoyed the money. So I, I was a hustler 
and a gopher. <laughs> now you, you, the family moved from the Bronx in the early forties. You were about six or seven. Uh, up shop ultimately in, in Dothan. Is that right? Began schooling in Dothan first grade. And you ultimately for in high school, if I remember correctly, you were in the uh, ROTC program. No, Bernard, there was never any ROTC in high school, but as part of going to the University of Alabama, you were committed to two years of doing ROTC as a land-grant college, and uh, that $30 a month was big money. And at what point in time did you decide that the law was going to be your professional career? How old were you? Well, it's when I was in college and I got the message from my advisor that said, uh, if you want to have an income, you got to look to a profession. And uh, the law just looked very interesting. And Alabama had a great law school. And a lot of my friends and uh, seniors in the fraternity were going to law school. And as a matter of fact, one or two actually lived in the fraternity house and went to law school. And you, you you did ROTC not only as an undergraduate, but then you ended up going overseas and serving in the Vietnam War for a period of time. And that was after you had already gotten your law license. Well, kind of let me schedule it to you. You have to do the two years basic, and that was uh, in the early 60s. Then I went to the advanced ROTC, of course. And from that, you have to go through physical and uh, summer camp and when I got my undergraduate degree, I also the next day uh, in a military uniform was sworn in as a United States Lieutenant in the Army. Uh, and then I had a two year obligation to do in the Army and they said they didn't need me at that time. I went to law school, graduated law school, passed the bar and uh, 50 years ago this month, I was ordered to Vietnam. And Instead of going down the road of us talking about that part of your experience, I want you to tell us a little bit about the the parallels or the preparation of during your military career. How did that prepare you for your your law career? When I got when I first went in the military, I was assigned in Baltimore, Maryland, to Fort Holabird, and the colonel there assigned me as the S four, which is a lot. A supply officer, but he looked at my DD-214 and saw I was an attorney, and he parceled me out to the JAG branch, which is the legal branch, there on post, and I did a lot of legal work there advising young young folks about wills and estates and things that uh, would help them prepare to go to Vietnam, because that, at that time, that was the big buildup. So uh, when I got emergency requirement to Vietnam, I got to uh, Saigon, Thonsonut Air Force Base, went into the uh, building there where the officers were assigned duties, and the colonel said to me, he says, you've got your law degree? I said, yes, sir. He says, would you like to go to the 9th Infantry Division as the claims officer? Well, that just didn't appeal to me because I was in uniform. I wanted to serve my country, and I asked him if there were any other options. He says, you can go to the 9th S&T Battalion, become the personnel officer, the S-1, which is a staff job, and you'll also probably be working on the boats, which were the riverines. So mm -hmm. I elected to go down to the 9th Infantry Division, and for the time I was in Vietnam, I served as the S-1, 
and I served as a company commander of a boat company on the river, Mekong River. Now, all of your military career preceded you going into private practice. Were there any parts of your training in military that you then carried over into your law career? Well, it's kind of how it's kind of funny how things worked out. I came back to Dothan, and of course, you know, Fort Rucker's there, and it got around that I'd been in the service, I'd been to Vietnam, I'd done legal work, and I had a lot of clients from Fort Rucker, and uh, the work I did in Vietnam was a lot of advising uh, even officers, young uh, E-1 enlisted people, E-1 to E-5, and I just had a, a amazing uh, clientele even in Vietnam advising young people or even some of the officers as I said and when I got to uh, to Dothan it just made it very very interesting and it, it just flowed smoothly I knew how to deal with military people and last summer we were at the Alabama State Bar annual conference where you and, and several others were honored with your 50 years of service uh, being a members of the Alabama State Bar and during that 45 to 46 or so years you were in active practice, what type of, of work did you concentrate on? It was uh, in the beginning, of course, you got a lot of trial practice doing criminal work, but uh, I elected to go the civil route and I was part of the Alabama Trial Lawyers Association. We got to meet some great trial lawyers, some good friends, which I hold today. And all that held me in good stead with the uh, meeting people and being able to serve clients. And what type of casework did you do? Pretty much what uh, you young fellows are doing now, a lot of workers' compensation, a lot of accident cases, a lot of work with the Department of Human Resources developing uh, files that uh, help people get child support and custody. And I did their appellate work out of Houston County to the, uh, the Court of Appeals. For those of you just joining us, thank you for tuning in. Hey, Rick, up in Virginia. Hey, Aunt Susan, good to see you both. We're talking with the patriarch of the Nomberg Law Firm, Joel Nomberg. Dad is happily retired down on the, the Alabama panhandle, and uh, we're lucky to have a few minutes with him today. We're talking about his legal career in the Deep South in, in Alabama. And uh, if you have any questions or comments you want to make, just throw them into the comments section, and I'll be glad to to field them and throw them to dad for some comments here or there. Um, dad, talk to us a little bit about what was it like? I know at different times you were a solo practitioner. Other times you were part of a, a larger uh, firm. Uh, you had partners, you had associates. Uh, and that has kind of over the years, at least from what I recall, different times of the year, different years you had uh, different attorneys working with you. Talk talk to us a little bit about those experiences. Well, I was brought to the Peanut Center of the World by Bill Baxley, a very dear friend, and uh, he introduced me to Bill Stokes, and Bill offered me a partnership, and I've had great partners all through the years, uh, just some good people who still retain some of the friendships, and I was, I'm, I'm able to work with people. I've just learned a long time ago that you can resolve issues talking it out rather than getting mad and uh, just uh, becoming a shell. And I can honestly say that in all the years of practice, I only had to fire one person that worked for me. And I never considered them as employees. I always talked to them. 
his co-workers, and I always kept a good relationship. And I was proud of the practice. We did a lot of good things. We had a lot of good cases. And I, I can't think of many bad moments, very few, if any, uh, that I had practicing law. And it's been a joy. The only thing that was missing, there was a large time or a gap there where I was not involved in doing anything in the, with the military uh, on a day-to-day -day basis or a week basis. And when I moved to Gulf Shores, that opened up a great door. And this, this past three years working with the uh, Veterans Court has just been a joy and uh, a comfort in knowing I'm, I'm serving my country and my fellow man again. Talk, talk to us a little bit more about the Veterans Court. It's in, it, from my knowledge, it's in fall. type of a program, but tell us a little bit about it. Tell us your involvement. Who do you help serve? What do you do there? It's an interesting part of the law now, and Judge Thomason, who is a district judge in Baldwin County, uh, serves as a circuit judge with the Veterans Court. Uh, somehow in that first month that uh, she was organizing, she got my name from a a beloved friend who just passed away about two months ago, Mr. Jimmy Driver, a Marine. And I couldn't have had a better friend in many respects. Uh, he was just a good person. He introduced me to the judge. He asked me to come on board and serve as the coordinator for all of the mentors. Well, the mentors are advisors. I did not act as a lawyer. I acted as a uh, mentor to them, advising them of how to get through their problems. We only took in cases that dealt with criminal matters. We're not talking about murders and rapes, but we're talking about other types of uh, felonies or misdemeanors. And these are fellows that came out of Vietnam, they came out of Desert Storm, and it's any problem they had legally, we asked the sheriff's office to turn their names over to us. We brought them into the program, I screened them, we made sure of their records. We had got the DD-214, and uh, we were even to help some people who had dishonorable discharges. We got some of that waived, but the whole idea of the program is remembering this. In Vietnam, it was a draft war. In the most recent combat, those are volunteers. If you volunteer, you're given a physical examination, and you're accepted. That's very important because the Army accepts you as a whole person who has no medical problems. When these young boys came out of the last three uh, wars that we've had, the PTSD was just almost to the man. And, and we knew that they were healthy going in, so the Army caused their problem. And we looked to the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, and those people to help us solve their problems. And solving their problem was to put them in our program if they abide by the judge's rules, and it's an extensive uh, course for at least a year. And if they do what they're supposed to, their record can be expunged. Why? Because they came into the service healthy, and we wanted to put them back into society healthy. I went to a special course for about three or four days in California when I first uh, began to be the coordinator. I was out in California, so I was school trained to do my job. And we have about 15 mentors working with, I think we've worked with over 300 
people in the military up to date. Now, I did resign my job uh, after three years. I thought it was time for a change of command and let some new blood come in. So I'm not officially uh, part of the mentoring system now, but uh, they do call me and I'm gladly uh, help them any way I can. And it's been good for me. Very good. Well, if there are people who are watching this either now live or later on happen to tune in and they live in the Baldwin County, Mobile area, Pensacola, down on the Panhandle, and want to be uh, trained to be a mentor, or if they're qualified to be a mentee, who do you have any contact information that we can share and I can put in the comment section? I don't have it in front of me, but all they have to do is contact Judge Thomason's, Michelle Thomason's office there in the Baldwin, well, it would be the Foley office in Baldwin County. Okay. And I'll, I'll look that up and I'll post it in the uh, the comment section when we're finished here. And uh, after, uh, let's step back for just a, a few minutes. Um, we were talking about your career in Dothan, which spanned 45, 46 years, and then you moved to, to Gulf Shores after that and got involved in the, the Veterans Court. And I know you still have uh, friends uh, that deal with the Veterans Court, either as mentors or probably friends you've developed, friendships who've been mentees. Um, and I know those have got to be good memories for you right now and good friendships. And that leads me to this question is, I want to talk about some of your 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 most fondest memories as being a lawyer, a member of the Alabama State Bar over the last 50 years. Certainly, it's got to be too many for us to talk about here today, but there's got to be a few cases that you recall, a few lawyers you worked with, and we'd like to hear about those. You can write three books with all the funny incidents and the serious ones in practicing law. As you well know, uh, you've had a long career even right now, and you've got your stories. But uh, a couple of more interesting things that happened is that back then, uh, lawyers worked on Saturdays. And I happened to be sitting in my office on a Saturday, and a, a sergeant who I knew from the Ozark area came in, make a long, long story short, it became the Pinto case. Uh, children were riding in a Pinto, hit from behind 35 miles an hour, exploded, and 70 to 80 percent of their bodies were burned. And uh, I knew that case was bigger than uh, Dale County or Houston County, and it needed to go to the big city. And I went to Birmingham and started the firm, and uh, we tried that case. And that case uh, resulted in the first million-dollar verdict in Alabama history. And that was back in about 74, I think. Uh, that was huge. Uh, Ford did not want to tell the truth all during the case. They wound up with three different sets of lawyers, and that was a book by itself. But uh, to see some of these great trial lawyers in the Alabama Trial Lawyers Association work their magic, uh, uh, you learn a lot just sitting and, and learning. And uh, I, I, that was one proud moment. I still. We're friends with his family up to a number of years ago. They were good people. And then got involved in probably one of the biggest class actions in in the Southeast. It was uh, 27 women who were denied promotions and uh, 
just were kept thumbs down on them. These women had master's degrees. They had a lot of education. They couldn't get promotions. And to make that, again, a very long story that went on. It wasn't a case. It was a career. And Ed Harden was a master. But we won 26 out of the 27 cases that we filed in the middle district. And the reason we didn't win the 27th one, uh, the judge had to do something. I guess he said, well, she was never employed, so I'm not going to put her in the class. But we won all of those, and we were honored, as well as the women were, for the work in this case that promoted women's interests and their promotions and things like that at Fort Rucker, which uh, most of them were like low-ranking clerks and typists. And these women were well-educated, and we fought the good fight. Well, those I, are two I know big those, so those are two excellent memories where you've done some some very fine lawyering, as you will. Um, have you? Would you have ever have thought that with the evolution of all this technology, that one day you and I would be sitting about 300 miles apart, talking by way of social media on Facebook to the world? <laughs> as I jokingly told you years ago, I'm a student of the Demur, and I haven't advanced much past. Uh, typewriters. <laughs> I am having to learn all of this through you, and it's over uh -huh. my head, and I admit it, and so do the, my contemporaries. Well, it's it's like any any good head coach. you got to have a lot of good assistants around you who know what they're doing. I don't always know what I'm doing, but i got folks, so I know who do know what they're doing. Uh, so I know that you had a little help getting online today, just like I had to learn a few months ago. Uh, to, to do this. I want to thank you guys who've tuned in with us so far. We're talking with the patriarch of the Nomberg Law Firm, Joel Nomberg. He is happily retired on the Gulf Coast, and we sure appreciate all of his counsel from time to time. He has to sometimes step in when David and I have some disagreements. You can see David's um, presence, if you will, over my shoulder. He got called into court today, but frankly, this was probably a little smoother conversation without him here. Don't let him know that, though. Um, if you guys have any comments or questions while you're watching or even later on, please just throw them into the comments section. As we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, we're going to put the Veterans Court of Baldwin County contact information in there. Thank you to Boris and to Carla, uh, Rebecca Melba, everybody who's been watching us for a little while. Uh, Dad, I guess I want to conclude uh, by letting you just talk us out for just a minute about some of your I know you keep up with what's going on in the news, and I don't want to get too deep into politics. I know there's a new Supreme Court justice was just nominated, but I want to get your take from how you see it as a retiree. You're not actively practicing law, but you certainly keep up with things. What have you seen in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years in changes, not just in Alabama's work comp laws, but the law as a whole? Everything has changed. It, there's very little uh, that you can look at and haven't seen a change, but the most interesting change is this advertising. Uh, if you put a too large of a sign, when I started practicing, if you put a, a huge or a bigger sign out in the front, the bar was calling you the next day. And these were serious violations. Uh, you couldn't put anything but a, a little salt, small blip on a yellow page, and then you had to have the disclaimer and that is just uh, um, Professor Harry Cohn, would, God bless him, would be turning over in his grave if he saw what was going on with advertising. 
but I've had fun in this retirement. I really have, and it, it, there's no such thing as being uh, absent of having something to do. I am uh, somewhat of, much of an assistant, but Susan has really put the uh, paint in my hand, and I've enjoyed painting, and uh, it, it's really uh, fascinating, and I'm learning everyday things from her and then in my own way. You've been to the house and seen the walls covered, uh, I can't say on, I can't say anything not that I've tried, but uh, <laughs> my mother, God bless her, she said if you can draw, you can paint. Well, I could always draw because I took courses in high school, and from that, uh, I've enjoyed it. I've even gotten a compliment or two, but more criticisms than compliments. <laughs> no, you've gotten lots. You've gotten lots of compliments. But going back to your comment about advertising, you're right. It's almost as if anything goes these days. It's not just TV. It's not just of billboards, but it, it's it's social media, it's everywhere. And hopefully the Alabama State Bar and other bars around the country are keeping tabs on that, but you're right. That is a huge change in the practice of law over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Absolutely. Well, Dad, thank you for, for your few minutes today. I really appreciate you spending some time chatting with me and virtual David over here over my shoulder. And uh, thank you all for, for tuning in. This is another episode of Nomberg Law Live. We, we come at you every Tuesday at 10 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Pacific. And uh, Dad, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I appreciate you, you spending some time with us. Next time, we're going to have some of the pictures to show. Absolutely. Have a good day. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Love you all.